0: All right, well welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh, I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So glad you are here to worship with us. Wanna say hello and welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues, maybe in an off-site campus, wherever you may be, we are excited that you are here with us. And I've got one question for all of us as we get started. How many of you are excited about summer? Yes, officially. Everybody's. this is exciting whether you have kids or not. How many of you know, come Monday morning on the way to work, you ain't gonna get stuck behind a school bus, have to stop when one is, no more of that. If you have kids, this is very exciting. Now, don't get me wrong. Come August, I'm gonna be excited about school stopping, but right now, I need a break from the Monday morning hustle of looking for uniforms, packing lunches. Oh, Dad, I, I didn't have breakfast. Dude, you've been up for an hour. Why don't you, you know, I forgot my snack, my instrument, I need money for this trip, will you sign this form? None of that, you know? And as parents, my kids, I don't know how y'all work, but our kids don't have to take as many baths in the summer, which is a gift when you have six kids. Why? Because chlorine counts. You know, if you've been fully submerged, I'm calling it a bath. If you don't mind the sticky, I don't mind the smell, we will call it clean. Happy summer, everybody. You know I mean? That's right. Well, last week we kicked off a new series called Summer Reading, and I actually learned uh, this week in preparing for the message that the average American reads one book every seven years. That explains something, don't it? (laughs) Like, that's crazy. Well, growing up, out of curiosity, how many of you would say that you enjoy reading? Let me see. Okay, pretty significant number, a little over half the folks. I'm wondering what I would have had to do to engage the rest of people, maybe how many of you enjoy watching TV and shopping online? Is that, <laughs> is that the rest of them? I'm just kidding. Growing up, I really didn't enjoy reading at all. I hated reading, actually. And then, of course, in school, for somebody that doesn't enjoy reading, now it's been more of a learned discipline. I know it's important. I want to grow. I do it a lot. But growing up, man, I just didn't enjoy it. Then you'd be handed something like The Scarlet Letter or, you know, Fahrenheit, whatever that book is. It's like, punch me in the face. Gosh, do I really have to do this? And back then, there weren't many shortcuts, right? You couldn't just hop on Google and, and search for Dante's Inferno and get answers, right? If you wanted to get on a computer to get some answers, you had to deal with this. <laughs> like, what is, what is happening in my computer to make that noise anyway? You know, little people working to find information. It's like, man, I could read the book faster than I could get information online with that little disc that came in the mail. There was only one shortcut. How many of you remember these? Cliff notes, baby, right? Spark notes, whatever you call them. 10 minutes and I can be an expert on the characters, the conflicts, at least show up in class to be able to participate in discussion. When I went to buy these for that illustration, I learned that they actually have cliff notes for the New Testament. <laughs> so for you, those of you that don't like reading, in 10 minutes you can know all about Jesus, right? Read the Bible. Come on, <laughs> don't do this, you know? It's like, my goodness, well our, our hope for this series is that uh, we could give you the Cliff Notes version of some of the books that we've been reading and see what God's word has to say about them. Chances are your, your kids have summer reading, maybe you're gonna go on a trip this summer and this is gonna be the year out of seven that you pick up a book, you know, and take it with you to read. Either way, one of the distinct attributes of a disciple, the word disciple actually means student or learner, that as Christ followers, we would be a people marked by our pursuit of wisdom, our desire to learn and grow. So our hope is that as we process some of the concepts in these books, see what God's word has to say about them that we too would grow in wisdom. So let me pray for us and we will get started. God, we thank you so much for a new season. God, I'm so thankful for summer, for some new rhythms in in each of our lives, for our kids, and I just pray for a new work. Whatever you might wanna do in our hearts, in our minds this season, God, that we would be fully attentive. We thank you for this day and this time that we have together, and we invite you in it. God, would you be present? God, I also pray for LeBron James that he would continue to set new records and do amazing things in this playoff series, but that ultimately, the Golden State Warriors would clinch the series, and all God's people said, amen. (laughs) Hey, listen, I feel it's dear to my heart, I figure if I can bring some alignment and vision to God's church, I might as well. There's power in prayer, right? So we're praying, we're praying for that. Well listen, this past Monday was Team Walter's first official day of summer. We're not the most structured or routine family, so we knew going into summer we had a plan. Typically, between school and supper and sports, that's like all the routine we can handle. And so going into summer, we knew we needed a plan, because I didn't want the boys playing electronics all summer, I didn't want the kids arguing all summer, and I sure enough didn't want the kids eating all my snacks all day, all summer, right? And so Katie and I have met no less than a dozen times. To look at my work schedule, when do I go in and get off, when is she working, the girls need to know when they're babysitting and watching the kids. We've talked through when the boys can have screen time, play with electronics, when they play inside, outside, when they're having devotionals, what time they eat lunch, when snack time is, that's really important. Snack time is after lunch, but before dinner. We've talked through all of that stuff. So on Sunday night, we sat down as a family, Abigail wrote out the family schedule for the day on a little placard board there. Everybody knew the plan. And I went to bed Sunday night thinking like, we are gonna choke slam this summer. Like it is gonna be awesome. We're gonna crush this thing, we've got a plan. So I went to bed excited for Monday morning. First day of summer, baby, here we are. And so I wake up that morning and I walk out of my room to a surprise. Now since I was last up on a weekend, we added, um, a new member to our family that I would like to introduce you to. His name is Sarge, and he's a Bernadoodle. Oh yeah, it's real sweet. Now I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute, you hate dogs. I, I did hate dogs, but Jesus changes people. And he changed me. Uh, about six, eight months ago, our golden doodle turned into a dream dog. We went out of town, some friends watched her, and they didn't keep her in her crate. And they said, hey, do you mind if we let Sunday roam around the house? and I said, hey, do you mind if Sunday eats your couch because I can't replace whatever damage she does, and they're like, it'll be fine, and sure enough, it turned her into man's best friend, like dream dog. So our kids came up with this presentation on why Sunday needs a friend, because we're gone a lot, she needs a buddy, and in a moment of stupidity, we gave in to their logic and got a golden doodle. So right now, we're still in that; our lives are miserable, this was dumb, why did we do this, but if you check back in in a year, we'll likely be happy again and see, see what happens with that. So I walk out of my room Monday morning, and what did you know, right there in my entryway is number three, which, for those of you wondering, is a combination of number one and number two, right there. So I walk into the kitchen. Abigail, hey, babe, you know we're crate training. Every 15 minutes, the timer was set on the refrigerator. When you get Sarge out of the crate, you push start. Someone missed their shift, and now there is shift on the floor in the entryway. All of you, who's, who did this? You know, I'm just getting all over them. Do you know how many 15-minute segments there are in the day? Our whole house is gonna smell like a toilet by the time I get home. If you let this happen all day, and I'm just going on and on and on. I come over to the coffee maker, smelling it. I'm just angry. You know, I find my pod, put it in for start. Babe, you have got, you're the oldest girl here today. You have got to manage this timer, keep the boys on, and I'm going on and on. About that time, I hear water running. I look over at the sink, it's seven in the morning. I'm like, where is the water coming from? And I turn around and I had forgotten to put a coffee cup underneath the coffee maker. <laughs> My coffee's brewing on the counter. I'm like, oh, look what y'all did. You did this. I'm cleaning it up, frustrated by this whole situation. About that time, I see Asher and Ari walk out of the pantry and they were holding Cheez-Its and a granola bar. <laughs> seven o'clock in the morning, boys, what are you doing? We've got Lucky Charms, Cheerios, I can make you cinnamon rolls. We got all kind of breakfast foods, oatmeal. But let me tell you right now, Cheez-Its and granola bars are snacks, not breakfast food. When do we snack? After lunch, before dinner, it's right there on the placard. You ain't gonna have no snacks if you eat snacks every morning. About that time, Katie says, Jay, Jay, could you come here for a minute? So I walk into our room. Hey, what's up, girl? What's what's up? (laughs) She She said, is something wrong with you? Like, I think I just heard you bark at all of our kids. And I was like, man, you're right. (laughs) I've been up a hot minute, and I managed to yell at Abigail, Abel, Asher, and Ari, right? Have you ever been there? I woke up that morning with a plan. I had a good idea as to what summer was gonna look like and feel like. And within a few minutes, I had managed to create or to allow a significant gap between my expectations and my experience. How many of you know what that gap is called? It's called frustration, Man, and I was there in a moment without even realizing it. How often, how many times have you maybe been driving home from work at the end of the day or at Friday looking back on your week and you had a plan, you had some expectations, some desires, some dreams in your heart, some moments that you wanted to create with friends or family members, with your kids and either because you didn't plan for them or you didn't anticipate them coming, or maybe you just came out of the room barking at everybody, you managed to miss them entirely. Man, our lives are made up of these seemingly insignificant moments that we can often step into and respond with crazy inconsistency. That day, I came out of my room barking about the poo on the floor, but there's other days that I've come out, and there's been dog poo on the floor, and I'm like, boys, come here for a minute. They all come, and I'm like, which one of you boys didn't make it to the bathroom? It smells like Abel to me. You know, I don't know. It's like, I'm patient and loving, and I seem like Dream Dad, right? And the next day, I'm barking. I'm like, what is the deal with my inability to steward these moments well? Well, this weekend we're gonna be looking at a book by a guy named Carl Lentz, and the book is called Own the Moment. Over the last couple years, I've had the opportunity to be around him in some smaller environments, conferences, different meetings, and the more that I've gotten to know him, uh, the more I like about him. Oftentimes, with preachers or leaders, man, they can get in front of thousands of people and lights and just get distracted or disconnected from the things that matter most. And the more I've gotten to know him, I see like, man, he has stayed faithful to going after Jesus, loving his wife and his kids and serving and loving the city that God's called him to. And so when he came out with this book and I heard the title of it, I was like, man, I wanna hear hear what he's got to say. The premise of the book is there on the top of your outline. It says this, own the moment. The concept seems simple enough. There are literally millions upon millions of moments in our lives that we will either maximize or that we will miss. Whether we are more efficient with the former or the latter has a huge impact on what the final picture of our lives will ultimately look like. Man, I believe that. There are some turning point moments, some, some critical moments in our lives, what college you go to, who you marry, what city you end up living in. There are some, some turning point moments, but, but for the most part, your friends, your family member, your kids, years from now, the way that they describe you, the words that they choose are gonna be based on the way that you respond or engage or react in these seemingly insignificant moments. To help us get a vision of what it would look like for us to, uh, to own the moment. We're gonna look at a passage there on your outline from John chapter four. Chances are it's a story you're familiar with. It's a story of Jesus having a conversation with a woman at the well. And what I love about this passage is that we get to experience it from two very different perspectives. First of which is a Samaritan woman. She is pursuing, fulfilling a basic life need. She walks to get some uh, water in the middle of the day. She shows up carrying a jug, whether it's because she's thirsty or she's cooking or she's bathing, whatever it is. It would be the equivalent of you uh, pulling into a gas station to grab a Gatorade or pulling off the interstate to swing through a Starbucks. She's going to get some water. And as she does that, she sits her jug down at this well. The Bible tells us that she went in the middle of the day. Most people didn't do that because it was the heat of the day would lead us to think that it was because she didn't wanna have any interaction with uh, anybody, largely because of her lifestyle, which we read some about in the story. But when she shows up, she encounters this man, this unexpected interruption, and she engages in a conversation that would ultimately lead to her salvation and the salvation of many from Samaria. The second perspective we have is that of the disciples. They're on this journey from Judea uh, to Galilee, and the Bible tells us in verse four that they had to go through Samaria. We don't know why until later in the story when we see this incredible work that God has done, but Jesus sends them into town to get some food. Now remember, their invitation to come and follow Jesus was that he would make them fishers of men that they were gonna pursue and reach people with the good news of Jesus. So they go into town on this food run, they come back. Jesus is having this conversation with this woman. They're seemingly so locked in on meal time that they don't ask any questions about the conversation that they had and nearly miss out on the moment entirely. We're almost oblivious to the work that God was doing. If the disciples could so easily miss an incredible move of God, I can't help but wonder how easy is it for me? How easy is it for us to be blind or oblivious to the work that God is doing and fail to own the moment, the seemingly insignificant everyday moments of our lives? So a couple thoughts for us as to how we can own the moment, the first of which is there on your outline sheet. I can own the moment when I, number one, anticipate the moment, anticipate the moment. If you were to think about what God has in store for you tomorrow, what kind of of expectations or experiences do you think he's preparing for you? If he's actively at work in your life, if he's omniscient and all-knowing, if he knows what tomorrow holds for you, Bible tells us that he's ordained set times and exact places for you to live. Man, if that's true for you, it's true for the coworker beside you, the neighbor that lives next door. What kind of experiences or environments is he creating? And more importantly, what is shaping your answer to that question? For some of you, maybe it's based on what you think you deserve. You just finished your last semester in school. Maybe you had to fill out some forms based on how much reading you actually did of a book and you weren't exactly honest with that, a little lie, you know, whatever the case. Maybe you're feeling a little bit of guilt about some decision that you've made recently. And so when you think about what God has in store for you tomorrow, you feel like, well, I don't deserve Good, I don't deserve blessing because I did this or I've done that. Maybe your answer is based on what yesterday was like. You're thinking, well, I didn't really see God do anything incredible yesterday, so what do I think he's preparing for me tomorrow? Probably not much, You know, it didn't, didn't seem like much yesterday. Or is your answer driven by what the Bible says he has for you? Look at these verses there on your outline. Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper, circle that word prosper for me, prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Romans 8 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good, circle that word good for me, the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. John 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater, circle that word greater, greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, circle that word more for me, than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. As you think about the expectations or experiences that God is preparing for you tomorrow, What you think is gonna happen, do any of those words uh, seem to capture the vision of what you think that you're gonna be walking into? See, up to this point, the disciples had been walking with Jesus for just a couple chapters in the book of John. Jesus invited them, come follow me, and they left and did. Up to this point, they've gotten to hear Nathanael proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah, the King of Israel. They got to see Jesus turn water into wine, and it's at that point the Bible tells us that the disciples place their faith that they believed in Jesus. Man, that alone is super encouraging to me because it shows us that we can follow Jesus, we can believe in Jesus, and still be a people with doubts and questions. Because it wasn't until they had walked with Jesus a while that they actually put their faith and trust in him. At this point, they had gotten to see Jesus go into the temple and turn tables. He wasn't just some like ginger sweet fellow with a robe. He was hardcore. He had fashioned this whip. He'd come in there popping the whip, driving people out of there. I can imagine the disciples being like, yeah, that's my boy, you know? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, we'll follow you. That was awesome. You know, getting excited. But they had yet to consider how who he was would impact how they lived. They weren't anticipating any of those words to describe the experiences they stepped into. Prosper, good, greater, more weren't describing their everyday reality. They had not anticipated the moment and nearly missed it entirely. So what does it look like for us to anticipate the moment in our lives? A couple different ways we can do that. You can do it spiritually. You can pray into your day. Man, you better believe after my Monday morning, the wheels fell off. Man, I prayed into Tuesday before I got out of bed. God, you know all that today holds for me. You can pray through your calendar, meetings that you're gonna have, Uh, that you could go into it with the right posture or attitude. If you anticipate some conflict, you can pray into it before you walk into it. Spiritually, you can anticipate a moment. You can also anticipate moments practically, right? Katie and I have these two gray chairs in our bedroom, and every time we're getting ready to go on a trip, one of these chairs starts to dress itself. Katie will start to anticipate like, uh, where she's gonna be, what she's gonna wear, which day she wants to ha- wear a hat. She doesn't wanna fly with a hat, so she'll bring the hat, put that hat on with those shoes and that, you know, this whole deal. And so this past week, I realized there were clothes on the chair. And so I was like, babe, are, are, we, uh, are we going anywhere? You know, what I was really getting at, it, I was like, babe, are you, are you going anywhere? <laughs> you know, why, why, are, why are those clothes out? She was like, no, Jenna and Lisa are going on vacation. I was just pulling some clothes out for them. I was like, whoa. That is next level friendship, you know what I mean? Now we're doing that for friends, great, you know? Can you imagine what it would be like if dudes did that? Hey, bro, what you doing, man? Not much, just hanging out. Hey, listen, I'm packing for vacation, you mind if I come over and look through your closet? was <laughs> like, yeah, hey, I really like that green fishing shirt you had the other day. I kinda borrow it for my trip, you know? <laughs> Whatever the case. We can prepare, more times than not, we step into moments as if, hey, we're here. But there's work that we can do to anticipate moments, spiritually, emotionally, practically, so that we arrive in them. We can acknowledge that, man, God's long been at work in this moment before I stepped into it. He knew it was gonna happen. I can anticipate it and prepare myself to ensure that I maximize it. So if I'm gonna own the moment, the first thing I have to do is anticipate the moment. Number two there on your outline, I have to be in the moment. Actually, be in the moment. I've heard it said that people spend their lives crucified between two thieves, fear of the future and regret from the past. Worrying about what may happen or focusing on what did happen can cause us to miss out on what is happening. On top of that, the pressures and luxuries of this life can make it very difficult for us to actually be in the moment. Carl says it this way there on your, uh, on your outline. You know what my goal is? I want to own the moments in my life. I wanna, yes, take a photo of my son riding his bike, but I also wanna put my phone away and actually see him do it. Yes, I wanna work hard and save money and make sure my kids leave the house someday and walk into a setup that will help them win in every way but I don't want them to walk out of my house total strangers because I was so intent on working for their future that I missed their present. My greater concern in my own life, and for anybody who picks up this book, is that if you build a pattern of missing moments that don't appear to be significant, you will miss out on what builds a life that is. Man, the seemingly insignificant moments and how we steward them is ultimately what builds a significant life. In John chapter four, Jesus sends the disciples into town to get some food. Now just put yourself in the story. I don't know where they went, I envision maybe grabbing a nugget tray, Chick-fil-A. If it was me, I'd go by Subway, a little $5 foot long if you really wanna splurge, Subway melt, turkey, ham, bacon, lettuce, tomato, salt, pepper, oregano, oil and vinegar, regular mustard, not the spicy stuff. A little bit of onions, pickles, and green peppers. It'll bless you, I'm telling you. So they go and pick up a sandwich, right? And they're walking back to meet with Jesus. They're not on a bike. They're not on a scooter. They're not in a car. They had walked into town. So on their return, for a couple hundred yards at least, they got to see that Jesus was having a conversation. All right, the closer they get, they realize Jesus is talking to a woman. Oh, wow, it's a Samaritan woman. That's interesting, the passage tells us, because Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with one another. So I wonder, wonder what they're talking about. The closer they get, they can see the conversation's gotten emotional. Jesus is pointing to this mountain. The woman's pointing to this mountain. He's referencing the well. They're real emphatic in their gestures. The closer that the disciples get, the woman turns around and she turns to run away. They expected to see some frustration, shock, some look on her face. I mean, can you imagine, we know in the story, that this stranger had just revealed to her many of her secrets. Can you imagine that? I would have been shocked as well, but when she turned, there was this look of peace and excitement and joy. And the Bible sees fit to tell us there on your outline, but no one asked, what do you want or why were you talking to her? Man, if, if good prosper greater, more if those were part of the experiences they were anticipating with Jesus, if every day of walking with him and following him was this epic adventure where the miraculous was possible, if I'm the disciples returning, I'm wanting to know Jesus. Hey, I saw you talking with that Samaritan woman. She ran off all excited. What did you say? What did she say? Did you get her number? <laughs> like something, anything. But they didn't ask any questions. I can't help but wonder why. Why? Why did they not ask any questions? And I can't help but think it's because they were so locked in to their moment. Any of you guys know, man, if you ever drive out to pick up food, especially like pizza, Mexican, a sub, by the time you get home, more times than not, you smell like the food, you know what I mean? And I'm thinking like, pick up food, get home, eat. Like at feeding time, I just lose track of other important things in life, right? And the disciples have done this. They're locked in on their plan. But how many of you know you are never just on a sandwich run for the Savior? He is always at work in and through and around you to accomplish the miraculous. If Jesus is involved, there's no task too menial, no errand so small, no moment so insignificant that we shouldn't walk through it in some way expecting the miraculous. The woman leaves, and in verse 31 there on your outline, it says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, rabbi, eat something. Please, eat something, Jesus. You know, I imagine they didn't snag a piece of the pizza on the way back to the house. They waited until they got back to Jesus to eat. And I don't think it's because they're so concerned about his nutrition as much as it is that they're hungry. You know, Jesus, please, eat something, come on. He goes on to say, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. (laughs) Then his disciples said to each other, they actually turned to each other, could someone have brought him food? Like they're genuinely confused. I see him kinda talking out of the side of their mouth like, seriously, Jesus just sent us all the way into town and somebody brought him a biscuit? You know, They're looking out at the horizon and somebody running away hiding. Jesus, if you had a Slim Jim, why'd you send us all the way into town? Get this food, you had food that we didn't know about. But he said, my food is to to do and finish the work of my father. It's almost comical how absent they were, physically present, but man, mentally and emotionally, spiritually, they were somewhere else. It's almost comical reading the story, but all too often, man, that can be my posture. That can be my response in my own life. So what does it look like? for us to be in the moment. Couple thoughts for us. Generally speaking, there's two different kinds of moments. The first of which there on your outline is expected moments. Those are the ones that we plan out, we prepare for, we invest in, we visualize in some way. Think about my Monday morning with the kids, for example. I didn't walk out of my room and say, hey, what are all you kids doing here? And what are you doing with your pajamas on? Let's go, you know? It's like we had prepared for that moment. We knew the kids were gonna be there. It's summer, it's expected. Next kind of moment is unexpected. Moments. Those are the ones that are sudden or random, often catching you by surprise, right? Poo on the floor, coffee on the counter, and snacks for breakfast are not a part of the plan. (laughs) Those were unexpected moments that I did not respond well to. Well, each of us, every day, our lives are gonna be full of both expected and unexpected moments. And we can't allow the surprise or shock or unforeseen nature of unexpected moments to rob us of how we experience them, right? Because God is present in both of them. So if we're gonna own the moment, man, we have to anticipate the moment and we have to be in the moment. We can't be worried about yesterday's decisions, we can't be afraid of the things that is to come tomorrow, but we've gotta be locked in on where God has us and what he's doing today. So if I'm gonna own the moment, I number one, have to anticipate the moment, number two, I have to be in the moment, number three there on your outline, We've got to celebrate the moment, celebrate the moment. So the disciples have left their families and vocations to follow Jesus to become fishers of men. And biblically, this would prove to be the first revival, the first one that we know of in John's gospel where masses of people have responded to the good news about Jesus. Upon doing so, they plead with him, Jesus, will you please stay with us for a couple days? Can you imagine the questions they must have had? What does this mean for our life now we believe that you are the Messiah? How should that impact our everyday upon believing? Can you imagine the the conversations? I'm sure Jesus wasn't the only one, right? As they're walking back into town after Jesus had said he would be willing to stay. Surely the disciples started telling some of the Samaritans about when they first followed Jesus or when, he, when they saw him turn water into wine at the wedding, or, oh, you think he's all nice. Let me tell you about this time he flipped the tables in the temple, man. He is hardcore, too. I can see them beginning to share some of what would ultimately be their testimonies. They got to share in the celebration of life change, even though they had nearly missed the moment entirely. God allowed them to be a part of it. Part of the reason for it is this. When you stop to celebrate, you reinforce a moment and you solidify a memory. Reinforce a moment and solidify a memory. Jesus was willing to put his plans aside, to say yes, I'll stay with you for two days. He was affirming their decision and faith, affirming these changes to their lives, and it's important for us to stop and celebrate because celebrations serve as a marker not only for the people who plan them but also for those who participate in them. John four thirty five there in your outline, it says this, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus wasn't just giving a farming metaphor here, right? When the woman ran back into town and the masses of people were coming down towards Jesus, he's saying, hey, pick your eyes up from the sandwich and look at the crowds of people that are coming to respond to the Messiah. Look, the fields are ripe for harvest. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did So when the Samaritans came came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. So what would it look like for you to celebrate the moment? Man, that could look entirely up to you. For some of you, maybe you've got a friend who just hit a goal or milestone of some kind. They've been working hard for a degree, and they just attained it. It would be easy for you to shoot them a text and just say congratulations, but what would it look like for you to take them out to lunch, for you to go spend some time with them, to give some moments to something that they just achieved or accomplished? Hey, how did you do that? Let me tell you what I saw in you, man. You were dedicated, you worked so hard, you sacrificed, you had discipline, and now look what God has done. Stop to celebrate the moment. Maybe you're you're married and it's been five years, or one year, you know, it's been a hard year. 10, 20 years, and you stop to celebrate God's faithfulness. Man, it's so uncommon in our culture. Stop and elevate, celebrate what God has done. In our home, um, we have a award called the Love Champ Award, and the uh, Love Champ Award is given out by the Love Hawk, which is Katie. And so if Katie sees one of our kids sharing a snack, sharing a toy, doing something special, she'll go, Ka! <laughs> you know, And it's like all the kids turn, oh, who's getting the love champ award? You know, they'll turn over to her. But it's just a way of elevating a character trait, an attribute, then that kid gets more dessert, a snack, a treat of some kind. It doesn't matter how you celebrate as much as it does that you celebrate. You reinforce a moment and solidify a memory. You know, on Monday night, after I had blown it in epic fashion, Monday morning, Abel and I were sitting in our room watching the Golden State game, and Sarge ran into our bathroom. Apparently, our bath mats scream, like, come and pee on me. And so every time he runs in there, we hustle after him. It was like, Abel, Abel, go get Sarge, go get Sarge. So Abel runs in there, and he comes out holding Sarge, and he was like, Dad, Sarge pooped on your shoe. <laughs> and I was like, No, he, it was too quick. I was like, No, he didn't. No, get over here. Whatever. Well, that, started a, a lighthearted game that they made up of how would dad respond if. And so Abel and all the kids start going through all these scenarios and Abel's scenario for the poo on the shoe example was of me walking out of the closet with my shoe and said, Abel, look at this poo on my shoe. I wanna rub it under your eyes like you're going to war because if this ever happens again, we will. You know? And I was like, like this epic macho man voice. Like, good job, son, you know. And it was lighthearted and fun, and we laughed about it. But as I was going to bed that night, have you ever experienced something that was in jest and silly, but it was a little too close to reality? Like, I could kind of see myself responding that way to the poo on the shoe example, you know? And I was like, man, years from now, I don't want my anger and frustration and inability to steward a moment where something is broken or stained. And I don't want my kids thinking I care more about our stuff than their hearts and man, I just decided tomorrow's gonna be different. So I prayed into the day, God, you know what today was like and you know what tomorrow holds. Would you prepare my heart? Could I carry your heart into every moment that I find myself in? Tuesday happened to be Abel's 10th birthday. So it was a good day to start over, you know what I mean? So I got up that morning, I was like, Abel, double D, one O, baby, we took some selfies and high-fived. I went off to work, when I got back home, we were having a little family party at the pool, pulling the cousins and everybody together, and Ari had t-ball practice beforehand, so I had to get Ari dressed. He's kind of hesitant about going into crowds. He wants to know how many people's gonna be there. I don't wanna go, do it, you know. And so laid him on the bed, went to get his t-ball pants on, and pretended to smell his foot and like pass out. You ever played that game? Like, mmm, you know, like that kind of deal. And I fell on him two or three times. Finally, he starts laughing. We get dressed and go to t-ball. And I'm watching him, he's swinging, all right, buddy, there you go, swing high. Coach keeps trying to put him on the right side of the plate. I didn't realize till the first day of practice he's actually left handed. So I was like, oh, let's take that glove back and get another one, so, so I'm watching him, reminding coach, he's like, oh, he's a lefty, yeah, we knew it, <laughs> so, so man, he's just crushing it, you know, crushing it, and I ran out on the field a couple times, high-fiving him, great hit, dude. And After practice, we go to the pool, and, we're almost to the pool, maybe half a mile away. We can see it up ahead, and he's got his head on the window. And about that time, I was like, hey, all right, buddy. You, you like the wind, you feeling that? And he was like, yeah. i was like, buddy, it's good when you put your head out the window, but it's so much better when you put your head out the sunroof. All right, don't judge me. So I was like, you gotta stand up on the seat, man. Just try it out. So he stands out through the sunroof, you know, like, just loving it, having a blast. We get to the pool, and I say, Asher, come here, buddy, and he jumps out of the pool, all the kids are swimming, and he gets over to me, and I choke slam him back in the pool, boom, it's Abel's birthday, act like it, yeah, you know, and all the kids jump, and I come over, and I throw him in the pool until I can't feel my arms anymore. Then we get home that night, and I said, Ari, did you tell Mom about your big hit today? He's like, oh yeah, I hit it over the person. I ran around the bases and then on the way to the pool, I stood up in the sun, "Ah," you know, it was awesome. And then dad threw me the farthest in the pool and I realized as he's recalling his highlights from the day, he's actually recalling moments that he spent with his dad. And it's as if God held up my Monday and compared it to my Tuesday so as to say, you are one day, one decision, one moment away from people experiencing you totally different and you stepping into the fullness of life that I came to offer. All that it requires is you anticipating the moment. Pray into the things that you're gonna step into so that you walk into them with God's heart. Be in the moment. Don't allow the stuff that you walked through yesterday or the stuff that you're worried about tomorrow to rob you of the work that God is doing today and have the discipline to celebrate the moment. Man, when you reach a milestone, elevate it so that it would shape and mark your faith and their memory. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your faithfulness to, uh, to help us own the moment. God, so many times that I totally blow it or miss it entirely, just as the disciples did, yet you are faithful to love and teach and pursue me and still allow me to be a part of the celebration, to have my faith strengthened, seeing lives change. So I pray for each of us today as we head into response time. God, that we would weigh those words seriously. What are you saying to me and what am I gonna do about it? That I would be in the moment and attentive to whatever work you wanna do in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.